Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26 with Pastor John King. Thank you, Miss Heidi. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, today we're going to finish up the book, or not the book, we're going to finish up the chapter, chapter 5 of Galatians. Chapter 5 of Galatians, and we'll be in verses 13 through 26. So here we are again. Uh, this is a very interesting study today. I think it's very appropriate. Uh, since when is God's Word not ever appropriate? But uh, <clears throat> I think it's going to help us with a discussion about um, the battle, the battle that rages within our hearts and minds between our, our flesh and our, the Holy Spirit who lives with us, within us. Uh, when we come to faith, you know, sometimes we get these false promises. You know, your life is going to be fantastic. And what we should be saying is, your eternal salvation secures you from God's judgment, and that you will spend eternity with Him. But we need to remind everyone that, you know what? Welcome to Christianity, because the, the battle just began. <laughs> and so we're going to look at that. We were set apart for freedom. You know, that's what Paul says in our passage today. So we're going to see uh, four major things. One is the responsible freedom. You know, here we have a choice as we believers. We can be responsible with our freedom, or we'll have self-destructive habits. And it can even ruin a fellowship. We are exhorted by Paul, and we'll say this many, many times today, to walk in the Spirit. As a, not just you know, a saying, not just a Christian uh, slogan. It is a way of life, and we're going to see that. We're going to learn about the things we don't like to talk about, but they're absolutely real and, and, and apparent and evident for every one of us to see, and that's the works of the flesh. That's a life apart from the Spirit of God. And then, of course, we're going to see about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So let's look today at our passage. We're starting in verse 13 of chapter 5. Paul says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. But let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we want to hear all of your counsel, Father. We want to hear all of your word. And so we come here to today to cover this passage. And Lord, we're thankful that you speak the truth and love to our hearts. We're thankful, Lord, that your word goes far beyond our emotions. It goes far beyond our circumstances. And it does its cleansing work in our hearts and our minds. And so, Lord, we just ask that your word would have its way with me and with everyone here and everyone who hears this message. We thank you, Lord, for your teaching, for your love, and for your truth. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Well, we start out with responsible freedom. It's sort of a question, okay? Responsible freedom or self-destruction. Responsible freedom or self-destruction. And Paul says right here, for you, brethren. Now look, he's talking to believers because he continues to use the word brethren, which is very comforting for these Galatians. And it should be very enlightening for us to realize that they haven't lost their salvation. That they're believers. And he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Now, this is uh, a legitimate freedom, but it's a legitimate freedom for you and I to live responsible, not to just be able to do whatever we want to do. And he notice he says, You've been called. Now, that kaleo, that word means you're invited. You've been invited. You, you get to live a life of faith. You get to. Uh, walk with Christ, to walk in the Spirit because of what Jesus has done. You know, I think it's appropriate as we, before we get really deep into the message, let's talk about um, what it is that we're freed from. You know, let's talk about what, the, what things, let's make a little bit of a list if you're taking notes. What are we freed from and what are we free for? You know, if you're free from something, then you actually, now you have something that you're freed to do. And so we're going to uh, look at this little list for what we're freed from. There's six things. Very quickly, we're freed from God's wrath and condemnation if you're a child in Christ, if you're a child of God. So we're free from that. We're free from mastery by temptation and sin. In other words, we're given a choice. We don't have to now be slaves to sin anymore. We've been delivered. We are free from the power of Satan and demons. You know, none of them can possess us and take us captive anymore. Yes, they will have their effect on us, but we are being freed from that. We are also freed as we've been learning from the curse of the law. Because trying to keep the law in your own strength never works. We are also free from terror and dread before God. Terror and dread before God. You know, before, there's, there's two types of fear of God. One is that he's going to strike you down at any moment because you know you're a sinner. And maybe you won't come to church because of that. And deep in your heart, you know that what awaits you in eternity is not a good thing. So that's terror and dread. But also there's a respectful fear of God. A reverence of God. 
And also, as we've been learning, we are free from the tyranny, and I mean that, the tyranny of others' legalistic demands. We're free from that. Some people want to, may want to put a yoke, a yoke of bondage on us. The Galatians were being forced to do something that was, you know, the law, this circumcision. They were being pressured and they were being lied to. And Paul says we're free from that. But what are we free for? Well, one, we're free for, for righteousness and hope. That's what we're free to do. We're free to live a life of righteousness. We're free to be generous, have a rich, generous concern for others. We're free to follow God's will. We're free to be reconciled with God and with others. You know, when we talk about the peace of God and being made right with God, it also means being made right with others. And there's work to be done sometimes for that to happen. You know, to be made right with God, it's kind of strange, isn't it? To be made right with God, we bring nothing to the table. We don't, we don't create our own uh, salvation. We come to him broken as sinners. But then to be made right with others, it takes work, doesn't it? It takes, it takes not compromise necessarily, but you know, just as Christ died for us on the cross, we sometimes have to die to ourselves to be made right with others. We also have, we're free to enjoy a life of authentic community. You know, having a, a church family. What a blessing that is. There are so many people in this world, Christians, who are isolated. They're locked up. They're persecuted for their beliefs. Or they're forced to meet apart from where the government can't say, we're, hey, look, we're out in the open. Anybody, this is a public, this is a public service, okay? Uh, we can meet in public. We can gather outside. And we're free for that. We're, we've been freed to do that, and we should give thanks to the Lord for that. We're also freed to be transformed into the image of Christ. That's what he's continuously doing and working in our hearts. I want to say that those, that list that I got, I, I need to give credit. That was uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, and I, I just, you know, I felt like that was a, I first of all need to acknowledge that he gave me that note, and I think it was a wonderful, wonderful thing for us to share with uh, you guys today. Well, back to our text. He says, he says we are uh, freed, we're recalled to liberty, but he, he notice he says only, or excuse me, but through love serve one another. Excuse me, backing up. We are called for liberty, but notice he says something very, um, he's quick to say this. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. All this freedom that we just talked about, the things that we're free from, he says do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. You say, well, what is the flesh? And we're going we're to talk about that today. But, you know, one of the best definitions of the flesh, if you have a New Living Translation, it's your sinful nature. It's who you, you know, you still, even though you've been redeemed and, you, and you're no longer uh, going to pay the penalty of your sins in eternity, you still have a sinful nature. And your flesh has been, de it's been defined as the entire person you and I are apart from the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, our minds, our human nature, our flesh and bones, everything, as opposed to God, and yes, prone to sin. So Paul is warning the Galatians about the danger of license, thinking that freedom in Christ means you can just live your life in any way that you please. We know that doesn't work. If you've been walking as a Christian and, you know, you're grown up, and so you live in society, you know, you, sometimes you think, well, I'm going to be free someday when I get away from my parents. 
Uh, let me tell you that, that you're not. You're not going to be free. Society, you know, there's taxes, there's everything else. There's responsibilities. And if the Lord blesses you with a marriage, there's children to take care of, people that are depending on you, if you're blessed in your marriage to have children. So anyway, don't ever think that this freedom in this world or freedom that serves my flesh is ever going to be satisfying. You'll see that every time you, you, know, you have a little bit too much to eat. <laughs> you're enjoying it. You know, your flesh desires it, but your body's like, why did you do that? Why do I have to take a nap now? Because I was a glutton. We don't, we don't know anything about that, but in any event. He says, but through love, serve one another. Now again, here we come back. This word love here, used here, is agape love. It's called the restraint of love, okay? Some of this responsible freedom, it's, it's the restraint of love because... Christ's love does have to control us. And there's reasons why we're going to talk about that. But you're free to serve one another. What does that mean? It's to zealously advance the interest of anything, but especially in the case of the needs of others. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We've been talking about servanthood, and, and I mentioned it a few times, um, learning that, you know, we, we choose, we pick and choose often who we will serve. Uh, we're we're kind of, you know, I'll serve those who I like, or I'll serve my spouse, all those things, uh, not necessarily good. But Jesus served everyone. He was a slave to all. So if you and I are being conformed in his image, shouldn't that be where we're headed? It's difficult, isn't it? I'm difficult. That's one reason why it's difficult. And you're difficult too. We make it hard on one another. But he says in verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, or one, one phrase. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we don't have to be instructed on how to take care of ourselves, do we? Who doesn't have a mirror in their house? You all do. We all do. We love ourselves. Who doesn't want to feel good? We all do. Take care of me. Now, love your neighbor as yourself. It also reminds us what Jesus would say because that's, that is actually a, a um, quote from Le Leviticus 19.18. You, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But he also, Jesus' words uh, we, we just need to see them, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. I'm not going to read it all, but notice in verse 40, if that slide is available, uh, it says, on these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There it is, verse 40. All the law and the prophets is where everything's hanging on that. But by quoting Leviticus, and being reminded in Jesus' own words, Paul is showing us that the law itself upholds law, love, excuse me, love as the main goal of law-keeping. You know, that was one of the main reasons why God gave the law. So we, we, you know, we talk about the law being not applicable, sort of, so to speak. We talk about the fact that we're not under bondage to it. But actually, in reality, as Christians, our desire is to keep the law because we've been given a new heart and a new spirit. We've been given 
the Spirit of God to live within us. So we want to please God, and we have this actual desire to do that. But our flesh, you know, we're going to talk about that, wars against us. And so we've been talking as we've been going along in some of Paul's theological discussions that a lot of these principles and commands, you and I need to be able to do what? We need to be able to think as though we can walk and chew gum at the same time. There are principles going, at, and we need to be able to keep these same principles in the forefront of our minds at the same time. One writer put it this way, Leon Morris, he said, the rejection of law-keeping as a, the way of salvation, which we absolutely reject, law-keeping is not the way to salvation, does not alter the fact that the law gives us a useful guide to the way that we should live. So one writer put it this way, it's like the guardrails of society. And it's often been said that if our, you know, especially uh, in our, our day and age, and, and look, we've, all, times of, all, all the times in the past you could have people tell you how bad and how terrible the world was, and, and we can testify to how sinful the world is now and the chaos that we see. It's obvious everywhere. But it's often been said that if, if people would just, if mankind would covenant with God as the nation of Israel did back in Exodus 24 and said, we will do these things, Lord, if the whole world did it, Everybody kept it. You wouldn't have a need for a police force. You wouldn't have a need for the judicial system. You wouldn't have punishment. Because if you kept those basic commandments in society, you know, the Lord wouldn't have had to come and die on the cross, if you think about it. You know, those are the kind of thoughts that go on. But, you know, we, of course, know as a society, there was a time in our country when the Ten Commandments were available in the public school system. So the public school system and, uh, was going along, you know, society was cooperating with Christian parents and churches to, you know, bring society and just remind us that we need guardrails in our society or there'd be utter chaos. And those who reject Christianity, what they do is they give these these. These replacements, these, these counterfeit replacements for the same thing. You know, they'll say, well, you want to take care of the poor, the poor, the oppressed, we'll just go towards socialism then. You don't need God. We'll do it on our own, you know, because we're wise in our own eyes. And so we're seeing that cycle, and it cycles through all through history, and we see it today well, very well. But notice what he says, Paul, he warns us in verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another. Now he's giving a contrast. Instead of serving one another with love, he says, if you and I refuse to live in love, we become like the animals. Now that, that word bite could be, uh, it sort of could be um, uh, translated to like the bite of a snake, the strike of a snake. It means to, to cut and to lacerate, you know, cutting remarks. Uh, to wound the soul and to ruin, to lead somebody to ruin. As we inject poison into a person's character and their reputation and their abilities. That's what happens when we refuse to serve in love. That can happen to all of us. He says, beware lest you be consumed by one another. That means to destroy this, this form of cannibalization that can happen in society and sadly can happen in churches. Anybody that's been a part of a difficult church situation that led to a split, which I have, anybody that's been a part or even, you know, played a part in it, you realize how 
devastating that can be. You realize how division among the body of Christ can really just utterly cause a church to consume itself and destroy one another. And there are multitudes of people that don't come, won't come back to church, even if they were a witness to that happening, even if they weren't a part of that, but they knew what happened and they knew the devastation that took place. Because, you know, we're, we were talking about it a couple weeks ago. We have our beliefs. We know, you know, what we believe. We know our Bible. But the question is, is are we becoming what we believe? That's been on my heart and mind a lot. Are you and I becoming what we know in our minds? And we have a nice fellowship here. But, you know, we still need a reminder. If we, if we will bite and devour one another, we can be consumed. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, very simple for you mathematicians. He's, you know, we said, through love serve one another. The key, the key word in this equation is love. The formula looks like this. Liberty plus love equals service to others. Our freedom and add the love for others, that's what it comes out to, is service to others. On the other, on the other hand, liberty minus love is license. And license leads us to do whatever we want and puts us back under bondage to sin. Amen? So here we are. Paul is showing us in verses 16 through 18 now. He's driven home the fact that because of Jesus' death on the cross, we are no longer under the bondage of law. I think we've got that by now in, this, in our study, okay? But now he begins to explain the next battle for understanding our new identity in Christ. And that is the war between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. So if you're a new believer, welcome to the battle. Welcome to the war. Because nobody gets out of it. Nobody gets to sit it out, if it were, if you were. In verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Now that walk here means to continue to walk or progress through life. And in this case, to continue to walk and progress through life as a believer. In the Spirit, though, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, that means that you and I now have the power to suppress evil desires and to practice holiness. To be guided by the Holy Spirit. So we're not just walking through life and doing life and getting older, getting sick, getting better, paying our bills. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his desire is that we would do all those things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you do that, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is not a complicated equation. We try to make it, we do make it super complicated. Because we, we bring it all back on us. And all the things that we're going through, as if nobody's going through anything, nobody's ever had a bad day, nobody's ever suffered, nobody's ever died, nobody's ever been sick. That's the world. It's a fallen world. He says, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. To fulfill is to complete, to perform, to let the flesh now rule and carry out its natural and often sinful desires as the predominant, as the norm in your life. 
We're going to talk about the, the sin list and those who practice will not have eternal life because those who practice those things have made that the norm in their life. But for us, if we allow, if we don't walk in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit should be the normal way that we walk as Christians. He explains in verse 17, why? Because the lust, excuse me, but the flesh lusts against the Spirit. And likewise, the Spirit against the flesh. You can't do anything about that true fact. Before you were a Christian, you were controlled entirely by your own lusts. And the only thing that restrained you, perhaps, were laws and consequences. But you were controlled by that. Now that you've become a Christian, well, you know, you just set yourself up for another battle, the battle within, because now the Holy Spirit resides within you. But your old man, your old nature, still there. When you and I allow our flesh to rule, we are now unable, well, excuse me, let me back up. He says, the, the, the war is happening, and these things are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Again, my belief is not what I'm becoming, because I'm allowing the flesh to rule in my life. And I'm, I'm catching the, the, the battle that's going on right, in, right within me. I'm, I'm having this battle. I know what's right, but I'm still, my flesh is so strong and powerful that I'm allowing myself to do what I should not do. And he says, you do not do the things that you wish, that you've resolved, that you've determined, that you've purposed in your heart. And so when you and I allow our flesh to rule, we are unable to accomplish what we know to be right. Of course, we can do good. I'm not trying to say that a person that doesn't know Jesus can't do good works. And, we, and it's also we can do bad. Usually a person that does good is so that they will be uh, acknowledged or seen by others. There's a selfish motive in that. And the only reason a person apart from Christ, I said it earlier, doesn't do bad is because of the consequence. You know, you ask the question, why do evil, why does so much evil happen? If God's such a loving God, we live in this crazy world, why do we see such vicious and you know, unmentionable evil that I don't need to list out for you that takes place in our society and in our world and has happened throughout history? And one of the reasons why is because unredeemed men and women think they can get away with it. They think that there's no consequence, and so they will allow themselves to do the unspeakable. You saw it in Nazi Germany. A whole, you know, a whole society, because the government was in charge, people in that society would participate in evil because they thought they could get away with it. So we have this war. So I, I just want to know, who said the Christian life was easy? Raise your hand if you, if you said that. You didn't say that, did you? Okay. Because Paul didn't say it. Paul says in Romans 17 through 25, look, I'm not going to read the whole passage. We're going to hit a few high, highlights. Uh, verse 19, for the good that I will do, or I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will to do, that I practice. This is Paul, you know, the, the great apostle. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Wow. 
there's something going on. You know, this enemy that lives inside of us, you can't deny, and Paul writes it so well. In verse 24, he says, you've heard this, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Interesting. But then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now he's continuing on. He's continuing on. We're not going to have time to go through this whole passage, but he's continuing on with the struggle that he has in his own body, his own flesh, his own nature. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, now there's another contrast, but if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. I like what David Guzik says here, the antidote, because you're like, well, what do I do? I mean, what, what, what do I do about the true fact that I know is happening in my heart and mind? The things that Paul has explained to us, I acknowledge that's happening. I know about the war that goes on within. And you might say, what do I do? Lord, what do I do? And the antidote to the flesh is not found in the law, writes David Guzik, but it's found in the spirit. And if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, like he just said. You don't need to be because you will fulfill the will of God through the inner influence of the Holy Spirit instead of the outer influence of the law of God. But that really doesn't perhaps answer the question. You know, you, you may have to give this answer to somebody. You may be wrestling with it yourself. Why do you and I, as born-again believers, why do we still struggle with sin? Why do we still struggle with sin? We know, Romans 6.4 tells us, that Jesus' atoning work on the cross enables us to have a new life in Him. We've been given that. You see that passage. That even so, we should also walk in the newness of life. One writer put it, you know, there's, there's much to be said about this, and we, can, we, can, I, we just don't have time to cover all that. But one writer kind of distilled it down. I, I appreciate what they said. The problem of sin for believers stems from the struggle between the new inner spirit and the old sinful flesh. Since our spirits are no longer slaves to sin, we must no longer obey the lusts and desires of the flesh. All those sinful desires reside in the flesh we must consider ourselves dead to sin. You're going to have to fight a battle. You're going to have to fight a war to overcome your, your carnal nature by the power of the Holy Spirit, by His Word, each and every day. You guys know that's true. Each and every day you open your eyes and you go to wake, you go to get out of bed, and oftentimes it's all this stuff that i got to do. But do, do we take the time? Do I take the time to say, Lord, here's another day. Here's another opportunity you've given me. Will you strengthen me? Will you guide me? Because I know things are going to go, you know, very different than what I intend. And I know that my flesh is going to war against the Spirit. The only way we can overcome sin in this way is by walking in the Spirit. Paul says that if we live by the Spirit, we will put to death the deeds of the body. So where we choose to set our mind makes the difference between life and death in this battle that we're talking about. Where we choose to set our mind. Living by the Spirit is the only way our new self can overcome the desires of the flesh. 
Now, Paul is getting ready to contrast for us the natural consequences of both of these you know, choices we make. Choices to walk in the flesh and be controlled by our own fleshly lusts or to be walking the Spirit. And he starts that here in verse 19. In order to help us to see clearly the effect of this spiritual war, Paul shows us two outcomes. First, he's going to show us the works of the flesh and what they look like, along with the eternal consequences. And second, the fruit of the Spirit, which comes about as we walk in the Spirit and is visible in the life of a true Christian. So here we get this chance. It's a wonderful opportunity to sit as a group and to read this list together, these two lists together. And let the Lord speak to your heart in this. He says, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, they're obvious. that Everybody can see them. They, they've manifested. These, the works of the flesh, you know, when you're really going down this road and you make this your habit, everybody can see it. It's plainly seen. Uh, the NASB, some versions say, not the, the works of the flesh, but the deeds of the flesh. And I said it earlier, the works or the deeds or the act of the flesh show us just how strong the flesh is, that carnal nature. Now, I'm not talking about your body, your physical bodies, okay? God created that. Those are, that that's God's creation. So let's not confuse our physical bodies for our carnal nature, which is oftentimes referred to as the flesh. The flesh is not sinful. In fact, we need to know a little bit more about that. The flesh or the human body is given by God. It's for God's use. And in fact, when a person is converted in Christ, now your body becomes what? A temple for the Holy Spirit. So the flesh is not evil. So we start out uh, after saying these things, the works of the flesh are evident. Verse 20, we go through, uh, we, I'm going to break them down into groups. Uh, first, we start out with sexual sins. These are sexual sins listed here. Idolatry, fornication, or excuse me, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. This would include the viewing of porn, which is a rampant problem in our society. It's one of those things we don't talk about in church. But it's just as real in God's church as it is in society in some cases. It's just as big of a struggle. Porn, prostitution, homosexual practice. Uh, we, we all know about that situation in our society and where our government stands on that now. And transsexualism and, and allowing children to have their bodies mutilated so that they can think they want to be a boy or think they want to be a girl. And parents and society are actually allowing this evil to take place. And so that makes it all worse, actually. So homosexual practice, transsexual practice. But none of those people, by the way, is beyond God's grace. So let's not get conceited about it. Let's understand that. Next we have our spiritual or our religious sins. Idolatry, sorcery, you know, false religions, occult practices, new age, idolatry of material things. By, you know, everything you see, that Amazon order just keeps on rolling. <laughs> and it keeps coming to your front doorstep. Sorcery, uh, pharmacia, often taught uh, this, is, is so true, drug use. Drug use and abuse. This is witchcraft, pharmakia. That's where you get the word sorcery. 
So you have the sexual sins, the spiritual or religious sins, and then you have the social sins. You see, I, you thought, well, I was doing good until that point. Now, now we're here, okay? How about hatred, contentions? How about jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies? In verse 21, envies and murders. And by the way, this is not an all-inclusive list, right? You guys could be adding. You may be taking notes and adding a few extra here because it doesn't cover everything. He's given you a good, a wide range. How about gossip? How about slander? How about bitterness? How about physical or verbal abuse to one another? How about revenge? What about road rage for those of you who will be traveling today? What about cancel culture? You participate in that? You like to crucify people by what they liked or didn't like on social media? Create a false profile? You guys don't do that, but that's the evil that happens in our world. You know, a professional, a young professional who goes to college now, becomes a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, they are at such high risk of their career failing because of cancer culture. Because what happens is people check out what you like on social media. They see who you hang out with who you vote for, who you support, and that'll kill your career. That'll kill your career. So you think the world is promising something for you? It's going to be all wonderful out there. I'm not trying to press you younger folks. Trust in the Lord Jesus. You're going to need it. <laughs> I know you already are. Oh, Lord. Anyway, then you have personal sins. How about we talked about envy and murders. What about drunkenness? about revelries? Gluttony, as I was talking about earlier. You know, you just eat too much. You just keep eating. <laughs> you just keep on going. How many times have you said, why did I eat the whole thing? <laughs> My body is so angry with me right now. <laughs> That's gluttony. <laughs> we, we laugh because, you know, we overcome. Got those sweats going on, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. You know, one of the best times to eat a lot, and it's actually, it's, it's a good thing, is food and fellowship. Why? Because it's, it's kind of like a festival, okay? It's like a mini festival. Because you do, when you're eating, you need to kind of have conversation and laughter. And God would set times aside in Israel. They had all these mandatory, what they call it, feasts, okay? Now, he didn't say mandatory gluttony, but there was a lot of food being had and partaken of, and God likes those things. So be a, be a good host, you know, be, welcome people into your home, have gatherings where food is enjoyed. But when you're all by yourself, you know, anyway, <laughs> so, sorry. But he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things, all that list of stuff we just went through, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, listen to me, please. I know you may have had your nap earlier. You may choose and you want to take your nap now. This is not the time to take a nap. You need to understand something about this because we can get ourselves in a place where we're just, we're looking down on everybody, okay? We, we fail to see ourselves and we're looking down on everybody. Practice. Let's, let's get a little bit of Greek here. The Greek participle here is prosantes, okay? It is used to present a tense, and it refers to people who continually orient themselves 
in these directions. Continually using drugs, continually following a life of crime, continually all these things, envy, murders, this is their life and this is what they pursue and they practice it and they're good at it. And it is not the life of a believer. But when you see a brother and sister who's fallen in sin, who does something on that list, do not think that they're not, they're not saved. Don't treat them with disrespect. Don't treat them with harshness. Do what the Bible says. Come alongside them and speak to them. Let them know. Be, you look, if you have accountability partners in your life and you see something in your, your partner's life or they see something in your life that needs to be dealt with, yes, we need to speak it out. We need to speak the truth in love. But do not hold people in contempt. Understand that. But also understand this when you're dealing with people who don't know Jesus. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's your practice, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It needs to be said. You can be the best tither. You can be an elder, a pastor in a church. You can be the best church attendant. You can serve others. You can be the most wonderful person. But if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the truth. And so the word today, it brings us a very sobering passage. Because this is where personal examination for you and I is so crucial. Has there been a genuine change in my life since I profess Christ as my Lord and Savior? Since becoming a Christian? Friends, don't confuse kindness with love. Don't do that. Real love is also truthful. But at the same time, do not allow the accuser of the brethren, the enemy, or a false teacher to confuse you about the war between our carnal nature and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Don't allow yourself to be confused by that. We all struggle with sin, 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Nevertheless, there will be a progression. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, he says, it said to have, uh, he says, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. The grace does not, that does not change my life will not save my soul. The idea isn't that a Christian could never commit these sins that we talked about and the others that were not mentioned, but it is that we could never stay in these sins. There are many testimonies of those who have backslidden into the world, who have fallen prey to the enemy. In fact, Paul says it when, the, when, he, when he has somebody actually sent out of the church. He says, send out that, uh, that man who's having an affair with his father's wife. Send him out. Put him out. Why? So the devil can deal with him. So he can realize what he's missing. And so that he can be restored in the fellowship. And in that Corinthian church, he was restored in the fellowship. 
So here we come to the final portion of our message today, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he goes on. Now what do we mean by the fruit? This is the effect or the result of sowing the seed of God's Word into our lives and letting it grow. Letting it grow. Luke 18, 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Note that the word fruit is now singular and not plural, as the list that we read before. It's singular. The Holy Spirit has only one fruit. It is broken down into a list of traits in order to help us understand His nature. You're not a super spiritual Christian saint who's been walking for decades and has finally achieved all of the fruit of the Spirit. No, you have it. You have it. Because it's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives within you. So first we start, we're going to do this one in threes as well. We're going to talk about our relationship with God. And that is love, joy, and peace. Notice how love, or agape, comes first. Because without love, no other fruit can exist. Without love. None of it can be produced. You say, well, what is joy? Because, you know, you hear it say, you know, don't think that happiness, blah, 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 it's an emotion, all that. What is joy? What is joy? Joy is when you have this inner rejoicing that's not affected by the adversity that's perhaps going on in your life at the time. And peace is similar. Peace is an inner calm not lost over outward circumstances. The peace that goes beyond understanding. The peace that you can have despite the terrible things that you might be going through. And people look at you and they are amazed of what you are enduring, yet you still have the peace and the joy and the fruit of the Spirit. The next three, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness, refers to our relationship with people. It's so important. And it starts with, you bet, patience. Starts with patience. When you think relationship with people, starts with patience. You know, silly things are said like, this would be a wonderful place. The world would be a wonderful place if it wasn't for people. <laughs> Just me, <laughs> you know. No, relationship with people, the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering, that means patience. Putting up with those who irritate us, okay? And remember, heavenly sandpaper, we're all being knitted together in the body of Christ. We're like stones being built. Heavenly sandpaper, what does that do? That smooths us out. That smooths us out and it helps the Lord work in our hearts. Being slow to avenge wrongs. Being kind is being the opposite of rudeness. Being kind is the opposite of rudeness. To be gentle with others. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. You know, it's these, these things that, that Proverbs bring to light, such simple wisdom. And then there's goodness. There's the willingness to help others by being generous with your time, your talents, and your treasures. So 
people. It starts with patience, our relationship with people. And also, the last three, is our personal integrity. How we relate to ourselves. You know, we put that last, okay? Love, people, and ourselves. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, are you faithful? Are you somebody who can be relied upon? Are you gentle? Now, uh, it's referred to, gentleness is referred to as meekness in the King James. This is not weakness. We've heard this, but it's, it's power under control. It's able to control our emotions when we're hurt or when we're frustrated or when we're fearful. That's, that's self-control or gentleness. Excuse me, gentleness. Now you have self-control. Very similar. It's, you're able to control your desires and emotions now, though. You're able to say no to that second plate of food at the buffet. <laughs> I have self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Because <laughs> I know what's going to happen. It's not going to be good. Notice I picked something that maybe, you know, it's, it's benign, right, in some people's eyes. But he says, against such there is no law. Now what does he mean? In other words, there are no laws that you and I can obey to produce the qualities that we just talked about. There are no laws that we can come under to bring the fruit of the Spirit. It has to come from God himself by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. That's why it's called fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of self-effort, wrote one writer. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Real quickly as we try to finish up here. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Darn it. I thought we could go quickly through this. Not going to be able to do that. Oops. First of all, those who are Christ, the question for you is, are you? Are you Christ? Because if you are, you're going to hate your sin. You know, recognizing that it, the war goes on and you're not happy about this battle and you do hate your sin if you are Christ's. And so what do you do? You have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So now Paul is returning us to our identity in Christ. Romans 6.6 6 says, Our old nature was crucified with Christ, nailed to the cross with him. And then we said it earlier in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Some of you, this is your memory verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself. So at salvation, you have crucified the flesh, not you, but God has done that. It's a, it's a sex where you died when you became a Christian. When, when we see a, in baptism in Romans 6 where you died to your sins and you were raised in a new life in Christ, you went with Christ through that crucifixion, if you will, and you raised back up. But now in the present, it's also an active effort. And you say, well, I thought we can't work ourselves into salvation. No, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about now our sanctification, our growth in Christ. And there is work to do. You guys know it. I mean, I, we just said that the Christian life was difficult. Yep. Our self-denial is slow and painful. Like crucifixion was a slow and painful death, so is our self-denial. But it's what we're called to do. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone desires to come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross once in a while. That's right, daily, every day. And follow me once in a while. No, every day. Amen, you guys. Can't trick you guys. We crucify the flesh with its passions and desires because we're no longer owned by these things. We've been given the power to overcome. And he says here in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So he's, he's kind of ending this aspect of his teaching, and he's, look, he's saying, since the, the Holy Spirit lives within you, this is who you are, your identity in Christ, God the Holy Spirit lives within you, let us also walk. Now we talked about walk earlier as, a, as our walk through life. This kind of walk, this, this Greek uh, translation of that means like a march of a soldier. You know, get back in line, get back in step, and walk in the Spirit. Finally, verse 26. All of this actually works, the things we've been saying. You know, we've been saying over again, don't give in to the lusts of the flesh, walk in the Spirit. Don't give in to the lusts of the flesh, walk in the Spirit. Guess what? It actually works. It's hard, it's difficult, but it actually works. And so Paul says here, because it actually works, let us not be conceited. What does he mean by that? King James says, let's not be desirous of vainglory. Let's not have an, uh, an over-exaggerated opinion of ourselves because of our spiritual victories that we do enjoy in Christ. So Paul says it because it works. The power of the Holy Spirit is real, but you can fall right back into the temptation of pride. Right back into it. What happens when you think better of yourself because you're so spiritually mature and you're so much you know, more holy than others? Well, they can see that you are conceited. And what does that do? It provokes one another. It irritates others when you or I act as though we're better than somebody else because we've arrived. And it leads to provoking, and it says, envying one another. That means people can be angry at you, they can be irritated, they can be jealous of you. Because you took what God did in your life, and you allowed it to be now a source of pride. And I love how the Word is so balanced, and I love how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Because you can say, yes, I have had victory, I continue to have victory. Maybe you're not having victory, and you needed to hear it from that aspect. But maybe you have come around and you say, you know what, Lord, I've been walking with you and you are so good and so am I. Maybe you're saying that. That's a disease. Back to social media. We see this on steroids. <laughs> I mean, you, just, you know, there's a reason why I offload Facebook all the time. Then I go back on to check the church's Facebook page. That's the only reason why. Or I miss a birthday. I mean, I miss a lot, so I apologize in advance. I miss some key things as well. Pray for me. <laughs> Matthew 23, 12, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen? All right, Father, we thank you for our message today. We thank you for your word. And we simply ask, Lord, that you would... Um, just give us a moment to breathe it in, Lord, just to take it in and to understand 
all that you're doing in our hearts and minds, Lord God. I pray that your word did what it intended to do, and I, and he, and I don't even know what it intended to do, because you're the one who's in charge. But Lord, we bring your word to bear here in this church because we know that it changes our lives. We know that your word is good, it's cleansing, it's powerful. It cuts like a double-edged sword through all of our inner thoughts and processes. Any way we try to justify ourselves, Lord, you're there. You're, you're, you're ahead of us. Any way that we try to condemn ourselves through false teaching, Lord, you're there to comfort us. So thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. And I just pray that each family that's represented here today would be blessed. I pray for those who could not be here today. I thank you for our family. What a privilege it is to be in fellowship with one another. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's stand for our final. We got a new final prayer. Got a new one. Jude 1, 24 and 25. Doxology. Let's read it together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.